Hello, my name is Toby Morell, and I'm one of the hosts of. <laughs> This is the Bad Christian Podcast. Thank you all for being here. Uh, we got lots going on today. It's going to be a fun episode. But first, today's show is sponsored by Stamps.com. Get your four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. When you go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter our code BADCHRISTIAN. And today's show is also sponsored by Hems. Get started with Hems Complete Hair Kit for just $5 today by going to 4hems.com slash badchristian. And if you haven't visited yet, Matt and I run a little site called Marriage Supply. It's the online place to go when you're looking for uh, some sex toys and sex products uh, and you don't want any of that porn and you just want to find some good stuff. Go check it out at marriagesupply.com. All right, let's get to the show. Lots of accents today. Oh, hell yeah, God showed up. I don't give a shit what I put in my body. You don't ever talk to me that way. <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extra virgin. No, girl, it's my flesh. I showed my dad my penis when I was 25 years old. You don't get more honest than that. Well, Lottie freaking dog! One, two, three, did I do it right? Well, hello, Pastor Svensson! Can you drop the beat? (laughs) (laughs) It's the Bad Christian Podcast! I really like these guys! Hey, looking so, forward you know, to talking to Tom Farley in a little bit. I'm excited. Yes, we are. That. Yep, for sure. Hey, I got before we get into anything, I had the craziest thing happen to me. So you guys remember me back in college. I'm walking down the hall. What do you hear? Toby, you could hear me all the way down the hall. Farting. What did you hear? No, what'd Unreal you hear? Fa- Jiggling in my pockets. Everybody knows what I had in my pockets in college. Don't tell me you already forgot. My mom Change. bought them, so of course I have them. They're cinnamon flavor. Oh, Tic Tacs. <laughs> my friends used to make fun of me. They'd say, well, if my mom sent me packs of Tic Tacs in the mail and sent me you know, yeah. back to school with Tic Tacs, I'd have Tic Tacs all the time. But my mom knew that I like cinnamon Tic Tacs, which you can't find anymore. They don't exist, so I, I always, don't think, Carl. Yeah, I always had Tic Tacs. But I like the uh, cinnamon Tic Tacs, orange Tic Tacs, the white Tic Tacs, and the... Uh, oh, I like the winter green, too. The dark green, no good. But check this out with the white Tic Tacs. Sometimes I will buy them because it's the only thing in the store, and, and the orange Tic Tacs are like candy, so I just I'm so tempted to just keep putting them in my mouth. But for someone that does want to be conscious of my breath, because I have bad breath, I think more than uh, most people, I will get white Tic Tacs, <laughs> and it's pr- it's a pretty good purchase because I'm not gonna go through them quickly because I don't like them. But check this out: I took <laughs> I took my pack of Tic Tacs out, and my daughter Rosa, she said, "Ooh, I hear Tic Tacs." I took them out. She said, "Oh, the white kind," and I said, "Yeah, I don't really like them either." She said, "Uh." Go ahead and give me one. She took one and she said, I like how they taste like the first five seconds. And that is exactly like me. In fact, when what? I... What? <laughs> you can make fun of me, but uh, that's what? just so random. Listen, how many people would say they, that specifically tell me there ain't about no God. a white ticket? <laughs> so I'm just, my question is, that is literally what I've always said about white Tic Tacs is I don't like them, but, but it tastes pretty good initially. And my daughter's taste buds have the exact same reaction. That's not, 
that's not amazing to you? <laughs> uh, I'll give it a shot if you'd like a, a, some explanation. I just, I just thought to myself, I've never communicated <laughs> to her anything about Tic Tacs, and she said the same She's exact thing. She's never talked about, about Tic Tacs with her. <laughs> shut up. Step, step one, never this even done that. This is genetics. They haven't genetics. had that talk yet. She's not <laughs> old enough. All I can think is how sad I am that I did not get to see Joey's mind blown in his face <laughs> when she said, I just like the first five seconds that Joey's went, <gasps> Oh my, oh, oh my God, what our bodies, the way God made our bodies, our family, oh my God, you, I praise thee, Father God, you are worthy of all, you are worthy of all, my God, I love you, Jesus. You don't think that's weird at all? <laughs> I hear you. Uh, yes, it, I think it's not weird. I think it's neat. When, It'd be when one stuff thing like if she said, "Ooh, I don't like the white Tic Tacs," but to specifically right. say I like them the first five seconds, I was taken back. I was like, "That's pretty cool." I'll try Matt, to shoot. Matt, I'll Matt, give you. I'll shoot a hole in it if uh, if. Okay, there's a simple way, and like, then is I'll that try in to... our chromosomes. Is there instructions that say white? <laughs> well, I'm gonna give us. I'm gonna give a simple answer. The first one, the first way I'll do it is the most succinct way that that will maybe rain on your parade a little bit. Bit is to say that uh, I certainly also agree with that assessment of the white tic tac. <laughs> so it means I 100% know the phenomenon you're talking about. I've spent a lot. I mean, I have, a, you're I have a lot of it. candy experience and I put a lot of thought into candy. I, it was almost the only thing I had to think about when I was a kid. Uh, All right. Didn't have the information that I would have liked to do. So I thought about things like candy a, good, a great deal. Um, but okay. So Advil has the same effect also. If you take a yes. Advil, you will notice oh, yeah. that it is sugar, has a light, very sweet yep. coating on it and I love it after about nine seconds it's you know the worst Don't. thing you've ever had in your mouth but that's not yeah, the case with those tic tacs it the is taste. the case with those tic tacs they no, have that that what you are tasting is not a time limit of when your taste buds like it there is a coating that tastes different after a few seconds if you have a warhead sour candy for instance you you say man these things are sour and then you quickly realize oh but not all the way through so it is a topical thing on the Tic Tac that you are tasting. I'm not saying it's sweeter. I'm not analyzing what it specifically is other than to say it reminds me of Advil. It is a sweet, pure sweet taste. It, the mint is below that. The mentholatum effect is not yet kicked in, which is the part that you don't like. It's not because you can tolerate it for a few seconds or have mag magical Svensson genetics. Sorry, but I do like the, the cinnamon Tic Tac all the way through and same with the orange. But right, okay. because there's something that is masked in the first few seconds of a uh, Tic Tac. It's the opposite of a fireball or a uh, warhead in that regard. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, you guys have had to... Uh, so this, this example aside, is it not crazy how different kids of yours have the same exact characteristics of you or your wife. I mean, it just, it really is amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. There's sometimes Rosa or somebody will be struggling with, you know, a thought or a conflict or something. And one of us understands completely because we resonate. We struggle with the same sort of thing or did as a child. And the other person is like, that's maddening. Why would you ever even think of something like that? I mean, it's just, it's super neat. I, I think the thing, I, and not not to divert here, but it is is really shocking to me how quickly your brain realizes taste. Like that, that oh, yeah. idea, like, I mean, just immediately, like as soon as you taste a steak or a piece of candy, something sweet or salty, like you just know immediately. 
Your body's just unbelievable. It's like the most shocking thing in the world to me. Like it just, you can, I mean, you just touch something and your brain immediately knows what it tastes like. Isn't <laughs> you that know, crazy? Toby, it, I, you can even go farther than that and say when you're having a steak, for instance, you've already been smelling it. Like you already know before right. you taste it. That's no, true. It's beyond, it's pre-instant. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of wild. Hey, um, hey, let, let, let me ask you a question about this, Matt. When, uh, you know, as kids, somebody in the classroom would be like, oh, gross, this thing tastes like dog poop. And then everybody else would say, oh, you've tasted dog poop as like a rejection of that notion. But that's not entirely Even true. children, you give the mean old man this. voice to. <laughs> even, ki- even kindergartners, hey, oh, it makes me fucking sick. <laughs> Stupid little shits. But, oh, no, God. That's not, like if you smell something, can't you say that maybe you have a little bit of a feel for what it tastes like because of how, how smell yes works. Yes and no. Taste. Yes and no. I, I can. Like, I think don't I we can all that, kind but. of think we could imagine what dog poop tastes like? Okay, we've smelled it. Well, let's mm, be a little bit more precise. You might be right. This is this will be fun. See, I think, if this you, makes I think sense Joey to you. got that. Yeah, you no, you're, up, you're right, but your language is imprecise. I'm going to try and clean it up. Oh, here he my goes. language is always precise. Always. You don't have to point that out. Yeah, I wish Matt would eat dog shit, Joey. I wish Matt would eat dog shit right now. Let's just get with the club names. Said your lang- <laughs> Matt sells Joey, your language isn't precise. <laughs> well, that, he's asked me a question, and that I is no. It's just funny. Um. Okay, so it is not true to say that if you smell something, you know what it tastes like because smell and taste are distinct. Okay. First of all, so that's not technically a true statement. However, most of the time when you use the word taste, you're referring to the collective experience of taste bud interaction and olfactory scent uh, scent combining to give you a subjective experience. Right? Yeah. So the thing you often call taste is largely made up of smell, but in a pure sense, taste is taste. It's receptors on your taste bud that do salt, sweet, you know, sour and bitter, sure. you know, stuff like that. So, but if you lose your sense of smell, you're not going to enjoy that steak as much. You not are not going to have the same subjective experience. So, here's a good way to think about it. And this is a fun experiment you can do with your children. Take coffee, ground up coffee, because you know, if somebody says, "Hold your nose if you don't like something." And you can eat it. Well, that's not kind of true because you then you don't smell it, but you still taste it. The taste yeah. is there when you hold your nose. 100% of the taste is, but the experience is much less. And with different types of experiences, different amounts. So some stuff, if you hold your nose, doesn't fix it very much. Sour, bitter, for instance. Right. If something is very pungent in aroma, that is a large part of the experience of consuming it, for like coffee. So if you take coffee and hold your nose before you even open the coffee can, hold that nose and hold it tight, you will not be able to obviously smell any of the coffee. You also will not be able to taste it at all. You can put, you can have oh, yeah. a five-year-old kid squeeze their nose as hard as they can, give them coffee, and say, go ahead and taste this. They'll put a spoonful in their mouth and think it's a funny texture, and they will have a normal look on their face. And the second they open their fingers on their nose, they will respond horrifically. It's hilarious. Because <laughs> then they will begin to have the experience of ingesting coffee, which they hate. But they already tasted it. But the taste didn't have any unpleasant information in it, only the aroma. So, yes, I know. I have a good idea of what it would be like to eat dog poop. Because most of it would be the aroma part of right. the experience of consuming dog poop. But technically, no, I've not tasted it. But that would yep. be the lesser part of that experience. Y'all know, my, to, to this my, day, <laughs> we feed our kids vegetables that I still don't like. And 
I feel like I'm in a position to where I literally have to eat it because I'm not going to make them eat if I don't eat it. And I literally am having the same reaction as they are, but I'm hiding it from them. <laughs> oh, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, don't think, I hate I, green I, peas and all my kids are, are, are okay with them. I don't like I, them. But that's what I'm saying. I think that you... Uh, you shouldn't eat those things. I think your body's telling you, yeah, we just don't like this. Like I've, I've yeah. thought more and more, like I've tried to make myself eat certain vegetables over and over again. And for a while I'll do it, but it just, just I understand it's good for you, but there's some reason my body says no. My taste buds aren't just the, <laughs> the just evil or whatever. But um, anyway, it is really interesting. I'm reading for, <clears throat> if you're not in the BC Club, you should join because we're doing a, a challenge. We're trying to keep it low, but I've been reading this book. One of the parts of the challenge is a health challenge. Mental, emotional, all this stuff, but uh, physical. It may be worth mentioning that on the episode here. We'll do that. Like I said, yeah. I don't want to overly yeah. bother people with it because it can get annoying, but we're doing what we call a BC 69 challenge of 69 yep. days of clean eating, exercising, no alcohol. Uh, we kind of line it up so it goes yeah. between the end of Emory Tour and th- into the next one. So even on the next Emory Tour, we're going to do the first half of it with no alcohol, which will, has never been done. Mm-hmm. So that's just something we're doing for self-betterment. We're doing inside the BC Club and then in a subgroup there. If you'd be interested interested in it again another reason to join the bc group but it's based similar to the widespread uh thing called the hard 75 correct yes yes yeah. it's similar to that if anybody wants to look it up there's like 50 clubs or more doing, doing, doing it I yeah mean, we got yeah. like 50 people doing it have, it's really uh, cool it, it's been kind of neat to see because people have been pretty bold and brave and taking bodies that are not in the shape they should yeah. be in and all working on it together it's kind of neat yeah but, cool. but what, the what, club what, names what, real quick while we're at it what, nope just Okay. One of the cha- one of the challenges is also read ten minutes a day of a book that's healthy for your mind and stuff like that. Not just you know just read. Um, and I've been reading this book called Gut, and it's really interesting. It's talking about how your body works, and it's cool. I was just uh, getting ready to go into the next section or whatever. Let's talk how how pooing works, and I was like, that's I don't know. I mean, I understand it goes into your stomach and it does it up and gets out your you know intestines and all that stuff. But I just think that's pretty. I'm, you I'm kind of excited. How does Nothing it work? Nothing yet. Nothing yet. I'm getting there. I'm, I'm about to get into that. But it's, I remember biology in college, I was blown away by the digestive system. I'll never forget. Actually, I actually read the stuff. What biology I to do well with class taught, taught you the digestive system in college? Uh, it went through my freshman year. Um, I, I think it was biology just 101? Human, human biology 101, probably. Oh, human That's biology. Just, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's closer to anatomy and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. Biology like, typically could, doesn't do that. What are those little tiny hair like things in the intestine that soak up all the good stuff? Phalange? What, what are, what are they? It's like these almost little hairs. I can believe it. Sometimes hairs like that it. are called cilia. I don't know if that's the case in yeah. the Justin, yeah. but um, fascinating. There is uh, but a guy. biology is usually molecular when you begin, no. especially in college. But yeah, so more anyway. of an anatomy thing. I love stamps.com. And that's the truth. That's not just a jingle I wrote because I love this company so much. It's because stamps.com makes it easy, even for somebody like me, a 43-year-old that doesn't understand the interweb that good and all kinds of ways to ship. I haven't used even a, a check in a decade. So if you're asking me to send stuff and put stamps on it and do all that stuff, it makes me lose my mind. But with stamps.com, oh gosh user-friendly, and I just love them. Because seriously, I don't have time to go to the post office. I'm busy. You're busy. Who's got time for all the traffic, parking, lugging around your mail and packages? It's a real hassle. That's why stamps.com 
Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, I do all of this, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. Seriously, stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder why over 700,000 small businesses already use stamps.com. So right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale, which I love as well, without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian. That's stamps.com, enter Bad Christian. All right. Moving on real quick. Speaking of biology, uh, how about we do a, you know what you hadn't done on this in a long time is a quick uh, uh, damn news. What do you think about a damn news here? Go for it. Let's do it. In a world where even a kindergartner gets the heavy voice of Joey Svensson. And that kindergartner, <laughs> all he was trying to do was turn in his paper. And Joey said, oh, here's my paper, you dumbass teacher. Oh, God. <laughs> my name's Toby Morrell, and this is the damn news. All right, speaking of biology, this comes from CNN. Alabama governor signs chemical castration bill into law. So I think this is, this is something here, because... Let me just read the article. <clears throat> Republican Alabama, Republican, they, they put in the Republican Alabama Governor Kay Ivey on Monday signed a bill into law that requires someone convicted of a sex offense against a child under the age of 13 to begin chemical castration a month before being released from custody. The law requires individuals convicted of such an offense to continue treatments until a court deems the treatment is no longer necessary. It says offenders must pay for the treatment and they can't be denied parole solely based on an inability to pay. The bill is a step toward uh, protecting children in Alabama, Ivy said. Both houses of, of Alabama legislature approved the legislation late last month. Chemical castration involves administering medication via tablets or injection to take away sexual interest and make it impossible for a person to perform sexual acts. If the so person stops, no erection. If the person stops taking the drug, the effects can be reversed. Several states have versions of chemical castration in their law. The legislation defines chemical castration as the receiving of medication, including but not to, but not limited to uh, some crazy one that I can't even, medrooxyprogesterone, acetate, a treatment or a chemical equivalent, and it reduces, inhibits, or blocks production of testosterone, hormones, or other chemicals in a person's body. According to the law, if a given offender chooses to stop receiving treatment, they will be in violation of parole and forced to return to custody. So did, have you been able to pick up whether or not, like, it's not monitored? Does, does the person take these pills home? No, and yes. They can just I, I, they I'm have a, to go yeah. get them. And they go get or something. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. you go, you go, and the doctor gives it to you. What witnesses gotcha. you take it, and that's how how it goes. It's probably gotcha. a butt shot or something. Well, I mean, I'll give a quick response, and I've I've seen a documentary uh, as we all have on uh, you know sexual predators, and I I'll never forget. I mean, it's just etched in my mind. A guy basically saying, "I'm in jail," and I'm saying, you know, the guy basically says, "Don't let me out of jail because I cannot stop." Now, 
I, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know how accurate that is. But if that's the case, then I see this, it's called chemical castration. I see this as a, a, a good thing for both parties. I mean, first and foremost, I do think, honestly, the kids are the priority as far as keeping them safe, for sure. And uh, you guys are going to laugh at this, but I, before Toby read that, when I heard about the chemical castration, I thought that maybe after taking the medication for long enough, your your genitals just fell off or something. <laughs> like they just shriveled up and I, I seriously, like I didn't, they I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that it would be something that just inhibited, um, you know, sexual arousal and erection and all that stuff. I, I actually see this as, as a really good thing. That's my first reaction. First reaction. Well, to it. okay. My, okay. Here's my reactions. One, I guess just personally, I think, yeah, let's stop all, uh, you know, raping and molestation in general, but especially, you know, when we're talking about children at, at 13 and under. So, you're right. My my natural inclination goes, yeah, you know, those those people are dangerous and scary. And if we can stop them from doing something, then let's do it. And secondly, I say, though, oh, I'm sorry. But sorry. secondly, I, w- I will say uh, it is interesting to have a precedent set for health stuff as a punishment. Yeah. Like, you know, does this not that it I don't think everything leads to everything else. But the idea of, well, we started here. Well, it didn't totally work. So let's go ahead and cut off balls, and you know, and then, well, let's just cut off wieners. Well, when you steal, you get your hands cut off. That starts sounding like other countries, you know, and less like America. But my, my, my personal, you know, hatred of anybody, kids, anybody getting molested or raped, I think, yeah, you know, you deserve what you get. But. A lot of these pedophiles say, I can't stop myself. It's it's the worst thing, you know. I mean, they, they say they can't be stopped and they hate it and they wish they didn't because, I mean, it's just, it, you know, they do this. They is there do any it, information? Knowing that they on, might get in trouble. Or is or there will, any information on, on this being a preference for the offender? Because I, I could see a lot of them saying, yes, please give me that. I mean, do you, do you really think, I, I, I'm trying to get into the head of a child predator, but I would imagine. I would imagine after the fact there, at least early on, there's probably guilt and shame and remorse. I can't believe I did. I'm just making some guesses here. It seems like there would be some child predators that would say, give me that stuff right away. Seems like it. I mean, if you get out of jail and then you don't hurt anybody anymore. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like it, it's interesting. Like when you're talking about taking away someone's sex drive, which is, uh, one of the essential components of being a human in a way, uh, you know, or at least it could be. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what you think about that. Like what it, what if you don't, I mean, it might not, you get a say they, you just either do it, you get the castration or you stay in jail. It's not like you get to go, you know what? I'm, I'm reformed. I'm not going to ever do that again. And now I want to, you know, have sex with adults. I don't, yeah, I, I, don't actually- I don't think it's that. I think it's you, that you get this no matter what. Yeah. yeah, I actually, I mean, with, uh, gosh, we should talk about this on an episode sometime as far as a, a high school teacher that I had who was definitely, now I understand, grooming me. He ended up in jail. There's a whole documentary on the masses of kids that he uh, molested and all of that stuff. And I just, uh, I have, <laughs> I forgot my, I forgot my train of thought. Sorry. 
Yeah, well, we. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I think really this, I think this one is now. a pretty tough case. I think this one, I would say, devils in the details, probably. So, for a matter of policy, I'd want to, I'd have to like look at numbers, I guess, and say how many repeat offenders, how many children, what is the thing, and you know, what is it actually going to like? What would be the efficacy of it? Because on its head, you could say. This is easy, this is the easiest territory on earth to fearmonger, like protect the children. Like they had that they said stop rock and roll, protect the children. Like you know what I mean? They said yeah. it's not that's that's that one doesn't well, I guess we gotta be on the safe side with children. It does not mean I approve any policy that would be that way, but in this one might be reasonable since it's reversible and chemical. You yeah. know? Physical yeah. would be a absolutely yeah. undoable. Uh, from a technology, well, from a child safety analysis, I'm, I'm a child advocate in many ways, but um, that then you'd have to say, well, I guess from that lens, it's pretty reasonable. Um, but I do think child abuse is the main issue on earth by long yeah. shot. So mm, that's, a, that's one way to look at it. And then if you go the technological analysis, you get... Uh, modifying humans hormonally, genetically, etc., is one hundred percent the way we're going. So get used to ty- those types of modifications. Yeah, yeah. Joey, this, this, could, this, uh, this voluntary, involuntary, mandatory—I don't know. Just we're gonna we're going. Joey, there, so. this comes from Box, but it's kind of to your point. So the treatment is usually delivered by injection every month or every ninety days, and it says castration can help keep some sex offenders from reoffending. Uh, they say that research on surgical castration has shown it to be effective in reducing recidivism. And we're still word, talking. When you say it. castration, you're still talking the chemical Chemi- castration. Chemical right? castration, and it yep. says when when it comes to chemical castration, some people even request the treatment. People who have committed yep. uh, once again this from Box. People have committed sex offenses, and those who are worried they might act on their sexual attraction to children frequently, uh, they they ask for it. My so, deepest inclination think- is that we should probably try to destigmatize pedophilia a little bit so that more people can talk about it and more people could get treatment they need for it would be my yeah. main my main yeah because these be people that. not those fucking monsters i hope they chop their balls off of that that's not do not do that right. you'll make the problem worse if you talk that right. way you're being too emotionally driven not the right idea you would like more pedophiles people with those tendencies and inclinations to be able to talk it through and get help that's what All i agree right. when like. I talk so to my certainly kids. voluntary is fine when I talk to my kids about sexual abuse, I mean, I definitely want to make it clear that this it's a it's a sickness. It's not like I just I don't want to label them like bad people. I mean, what they're doing is is bad, and sure, you could make a case for someone. Well, if there are bad people, a kid's that, life. You know, no, 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 I, I know, but but what I'm saying is, most of the bad stuff that we do is is. It's not like we just woke up one morning mm-hmm. deciding that we would do it. A lot of it is right. is a sickness. But I, I I'll say this, and I'll say this pretty emphatically: if there is a repeated offender and they're basically given a choice um, to take this chemical castration and they turn it down, I would be totally fine with saying, okay, your only other option then is to stay in jail. I mean, when 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 you really think yeah, about a repeated offender and, and the safety of kids, if they don't want that, then it that's seems good, like they're saying. Yeah. I would like to continue doing it. So you just have to stay stay in jail. Yeah. Then. So I don't believe in jail as a punitive thing as much as just, I think jails for people that we need not around be around us because they're a danger. I don't necessarily want them to people to suffer. As I don't think prison is a mechanism by which to cause suffering. I don't think that's yeah. the goal of it. Um, but uh, in the case of uncontrollable pedophiles, I, I, I mean... I, Was that a theological by, by, statement on hell, by the way? 
No, but maybe you could extrapolate <laughs> to that. But I, I do think if somebody looks like they're going to be a pedophile, it, it might be practical to lock them up before they commit an offense. So it's not about right. punitive or anything there. It's just you can't. Some people are dangerous to society, and that's kind of what prison's for. Or castration. Yeah, you could stay in prison or be castrated, mm-hmm. I, I guess, at some level that of, of uh, violence that might be appropriate. Oh, I, man, I need to tell you all so about he- my— It's uh, so heavy. I need to tell you all about my teacher another episode. I can't believe you got to do another episode because we got to yep. make time to talk yep. to Tom Farley, Chris I'm Farley's excited. brother. Um, thrilled to be able to, to do it. I think it's a great opportunity. So we'll be right back with Tom Farley. All right. A lot of you guys know that I'm bald. You probably didn't know that in college I had massive slick back hair and big old lamb chalk sideburns. And I'm pretty sure it was partly what helped me get my current wife. I think she liked the look. And so here I am learning about forhims.com and my goodness, could this have been handy in keeping my hair. So check this out. 66% of men start losing their hair by the age of 35. And once you start thinning hair, it could be too late. So you want to prevent more hair loss. You do something while you still have some. And uh, let me ask you this. Do you want that bald spot to keep getting bigger and that hairline to recede? Or do you want to do something about it first? And there's all sorts of weird solutions out there. Um, but, but why turn to those when you can actually find a scientific um, solution. So uh, that's exactly what forhims.com is. It's a scientific solution and it's a not it's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. So thanks to science, baldness can be an option. Hims is helping guys be the best version of themselves with licensed physicians and FDA approved products to help treat hair loss. And this is prescription solutions backed by science, my friends. And here's the cool thing. There's no awkward in-person doctor visits or long pharmacy lines. Quick few questions a doctor will review. <clears throat> and if they determine it's right for you, you uh, you can be prescribed your medication and treat hair loss that is shipped directly to your door. These guys are featured in GQ, Men's Health, Esquire, and Playboy, just to name a few. So check this deal out. If you order now, we are partnering with these guys and they are giving our listeners a hair kit for just $5. So order now while these supplies last. See the website for full details and safety information. This could cost, this, the same sort of treatment could cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy somewhere else. So go to forhims.com slash badchristian. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash badchristian. Forhims.com slash badchristian. Don't hesitate. Keep that hair. Five dollars, my friends. Tom Farley, we are really honored to have you on the podcast today. It really is a special treat here. And before I open my mouth or say something dumb, I would love to know what are the cliche opening things that people always ask you and conversation starters that are just so dumb. I'm sure it's about your brother or this or that or whatever, but I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. I don't have much of a connection don't to, to you. Don't ask me if go I for live it. in a van down by the river. <laughs> okay. Is that what people do? All the time. Oh, my God. Do you live in a van down the river? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Thanks for asking, though. Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> there's just unlimited cliches no doing things like that. <laughs> so, okay, so just so you know, I, I mean, we are, I mean, I guess you get this all the time. That's what's interesting. We were just talking about, like, uh, it, it, we have been friends with, like, uh, you know, you guys are in, Wisconsin. We've been. We were just talking about Green Bay Packers, and, and we, because of our band, Emory, have known Aaron Rodgers, know his brother really well. 
um, and are, have been friends for years now. And just kind of, uh, you know, being a part of that, uh, just even the smallest amount that we are, it, it has to be like with, with, uh, with Luke Rogers, Aaron Rogers' brother, he was on our podcast a while back. It is like, how in the world are you just your brothers with somebody and then all of a sudden they just skyrocket to fame. They are just out of this world famous. People know them and then, you know, all of a sudden you're the brother of that person and everybody wants to talk to you. Like, has that been a part of your life where you get asked stuff about Chris and way more than about Tom, right? Oh, there is no Tom. Actually, people call wow. me Tito now. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Do you the embrace that? The other or is Jackson that tough? brother. Um, you know, uh, we, uh, we kind of grew up in a very, uh, kind of confident and, and competitive family. You know, all my brothers, uh, went into acting, Kevin and Johnny are still acting. Yeah. And, uh, so I get that across. I'm the only non-actor, but I'm the, also the oldest. So mm-hmm. I, I pretty much, you know, take the attention whenever we're in the room. So Hell yeah, I, I don't, older I don't brother. Him, yeah. I don't let them. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to talk about Chris, but you know. I talk it from a from a, 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 a kind of a position of uh, of uh, you know dominance and authority. So, so you you've been able to battle that tension. It sounds like in a very healthy way. I think for some people it would be a huge bummer to to for your identity to be somebody else's brother. It sounds like you're secure with yourself, totally moving right moving right along, kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, it, it is. I I am who I am. I you know yeah. Now, how you know, cl- I, how close were all of you, uh, Farley brothers? Uh, well, we have an older sister, um, Barb, I think, um, is her name. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I literally say that every time and she hates it. Um, so, and then it's me, Chris, Kevin, and John. So, uh, Chris and I were two years apart. Uh, Chris and Kevin were a year apart. Johnny was like three years apart. He was kind of, wasn't supposed to be, but, um, yeah, we were, they were like, you know, um, five of us within seven years, you know, eight years. What, was it something that you could detect early on in y'all's uh, childhood or teen years that, oh, wait a second, Chris Farley is going to do something miraculously special sort of thing? Or did it just come out of nowhere and you're like, oh my gosh, this dude is taking over the comedy world? Like, were y'all shocked? Well, what came out of nowhere for me was that it, he was actually funny. <laughs> you know, because to me, I, it was just like, yeah. st- it was an embarrassment. You know, right. just, I would, my, my buddies would be cracking up. I'm like, shut up, man. He's not, <laughs> stop it. It's my little brother don't, don't here. He's a dumbass. Don't right? encourage him. He's, he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, we were always, um, our family was just always, you know, on, you know, and we were always funny. And as a group, you know, no one's funnier than the rest. We're all just, you know, constantly doing movie lines and, watching comedy and you know so we were always like that but chris would always just take it a little farther you know there was just always that you know chris would you know come up to the line and then just leap over it so in that respect we always knew that chris was able to and willing to just go that extra mile for for a laugh so yeah yeah, that was always there that's so true (laughs) like uh that's interesting like i that's the way i think about him is and I mean, when when I found out he died, even we'll, I'm sure we'll get to all this in the future. But it it, I believe that's the only celebrity that died that actually affected me. Where I was like, oh no, like my life has changed. Now, I won't see more movies or anything like that. But I, my my favorite thing about Chris was that he 
went all in. You're you're right. Like there is no stopping him. Like I just <laughs> I just watched uh, one of his. Uh, little things on uh, videos on Facebook where he, he, I'm sure you've seen a million times where he's on Letterman and he just comes and just look, he's just screaming and yelling. And he, I mean, he's just <laughs> he's so massive and, and just, he just doesn't everything. Stop. He doesn't I stop at all. Sitting. And then when he sits down, he can't even breathe. Yeah. Like he can't, like, I mean, the interview and he's just, I mean, and he just, he's, he's self deprecated, but I mean, he went, Fully, like I mean, it didn't matter if he would have been 115 pounds; he would have been out of breath. Like it, I mean, the way yeah, he no, went absolutely. was unbelievable. Is that the one where he picked the kid up and threw him in a dumpster? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he takes it, picks the guy yeah, up, busts the I was door. sitting behind that kid. Oh no way! Yeah, right from Citibank. I'm a banker with my you know suit on and nice tie, and I come to uh, to the show, and Chris goes, "All right, Tommy, great idea. Um, I'm going to come down." You know, running into the thing, I'm going to pick you up, put you over my shoulder. I'm going to run out the door and throw you in a dumpster out in the alley. I'm like, no, no you're not. You're not doing. You're not doing that. He goes, no, it'd be really funny. And like, yeah, no. And so I said, he goes, well, all right, I'll just get an intern to do that, and I'll just come in and rough you up. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But he uh, um, yeah, was like, this would be really funny. I mean, my whole life, you know, it'd be really funny. It's like, no, that wouldn't be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we go any farther, we're just yapping, yapping, talking, talking. Why don't we hear a little bit of music for a break? Let's listen to a song, in fact, called Fissure. I bet you haven't heard it, but we'll roll it here. This is a song called Fissure. It's a single from a new record from a band that you might like called Oh Sleeper. Very excited they have a new record. It's called Decimation and Burial, and it comes out July 12th. It's been done a long time, and it's finally time to come out. The band is organized. They sound better than ever. We've done some touring with them recently. This is their first full-length record since 2011, and it's their first release of any kind since 2013. And so it really is a comeback record. I spent some time around these guys, and they are healthier and happier and better at music than ever before. Uh, Pre-order bundles are available at osleeper.merchnow.com. they got lots of vinyl options as well. Now, this band, turns out, is going to be on tour throughout July and August. So you can go over to their Bands in Town page to figure out who they're going to be, you know, touring with and where they're going to be. Except for, I already know, they're going to want some of that is they're touring with Emory and Hawthorne Heights on the West Coast. That's part of what they're going to be doing touring-wise. So very excited about that. That Those shows will be a blast. Uh, you can follow this band's page. Oh, Sleeper again. If you're not familiar with Oh, Sleeper, they've been around a long time. Took a hiatus. Now they're back. They've been on this podcast. Great people. You can follow the band's pages on Spotify and Apple Music, and you can get the alerts when it comes when the new music comes out. So there's tons of new music on the way, whole album obviously, and uh, you don't want to miss it. So Decimation and Burial is available July 12th. Go listen to this song Fissure right now, and congratulations to those guys. Oh, it's time. 
So, so what do you think it was uh, with Chris? Um, if you had to sum up the difference in him and other funny people, would you say it has something to do with that? Just going past the limit or be, I mean, what could you sum up what's different well, about yeah. him than other people? Well, first of all, I mean, that's what Chris, I mean, I always say like when I do my, when I do, when I do talks, I ask people like, you know, how many people have a younger brother that's, uh, you know, um, you know, embarrassment or obnoxious and, Couple of people raise their hand. It's like, yeah, your, your little brother's name was probably Ned. Mine was Chris Farley. And what you saw at thirty, you know, at twenty five on SNL, that was Chris at twelve too. Same thing. Oh my and, god. Uh, oh man. You know god. that I had to share a bedroom with. And uh, yeah, so um, that's the thing was was Chris was always like that. And so when he just kind of turned it up and, and went into acting, why I think people love Chris and and remember him is because. Um, you know, that's what you saw is what you got. It's, it's a very Wisconsin thing. And he, and he kept that Chris from Wisconsin kind of ability about him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Tom Hanks, you know, he played Forrest Gump and that was a character, but Chris was just, the character was Chris. That's right. the character he was always playing. Um, you know, and so, uh, yeah, that was kind of why people like they, they, they felt they knew him. You know, it's yeah. like they, and he was so approachable. And I, and I, I also, I just as an aside, when I talk about, you know, Chris, I talk about the Wisconsin DNA and how different it, we are. And, and because we just, we are who we are. And, and uh, like these knuckleheads down in Chicago wanted to come up with a derogatory name for us. They started calling us cheeseheads. And we like, that eh, sounds good. We'll wear them on our heads. We don't right. care. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love you that. Know, and, and people like, you know, the people that, that retain their Wisconsinness when they go out in the world are just so different loved. I mean, you look, think of a J.J. Watt. Why do people love J.J. Watt? Because he never left Wisconsin. You right. know, Steve Stricker, same thing. You know, they go out into the world and they love, people love them because they're just these kids from Wisconsin. Chris is the yeah. same way. Now, I think of Wisconsin as like it, it even just because we've been in a band forever now and, and just getting to tour and play there and just see it and every, it, I love the geography. I love the people, everything about Wisconsin is such, it's really neat. And you're right. It, there's a, there's a unique, like almost like family connectedness there that is just, you, it feels like, you know it, but it's interesting to me though, because like, it, I, I never thought about that before being like Chris's brother. When Chris went crazy I just got to watch it. It sometimes though it was like pointed at you or you were standing there having to deal with it or or be a part of that, right? Like that's what that, I've never thought about that before as a, as his sibling, as his brother. There were times where you're like, "Oh my god, this is uh, it's coming at me. I have to say no. Don't pick me up and sling me around. Yeah, just I, I, leave me alone, I'm right? A, I'm not a prop." Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it probably felt that way when uh, so so he was always, you know, to the limit or whatever. But when did like when did he decide to okay, wait a minute, I'm funny or people like me, I'm gonna do such an I'm gonna try at least to do some comedy or something. Do you remember that time? Well, no, I actually um, you know, it's when he was at Marquette, um, and he you know, my parents really wanted us to go to to college, get a get a, get a degree. Yeah. And um Chris got there and he just, he, he wasn't really an academic. So he just kind of struggled. <laughs> you know, he loved it. He, he got up, played rugby, went back to bed. And uh, um, he wanted to, like, he was done. And, and uh, um, 
you know, uh, there was one thing, there was one story a friend of ours, Pat Finn tells where, you know, everyone, they they were the class clowns. They're the funny guys in, um, in, uh, yeah, at Marquette. And at the end of their senior year, they, um, they did this, uh, they had this senior follies and it was, you guys got to do something. You guys got to do something. They go, okay, okay. And the day comes and they just hadn't prepared anything. So they just went to a bar. And people came running into this bar going, where are you? Yeah, everyone's screaming for you. So they, they panicked and said, all right, well, we, they, they went out on stage and Chris said the last minute she goes, all right, we're going to do a dating game thing. It's like, Finner, you play the cool guy. I'll play the nerd. And this guy will play the, you know, the jock and we'll get some hot chick. And they, he just created this thing ad lib, on, you know, improv it. Wow. And people were screaming. It was so funny. Wow. Chris comes out on the stage, <laughs> falls down. And, uh, and afterwards... <laughs> Finner describes Chris coming up to him at backstage and he grabs Finner by the lapels and he goes, Pat, we're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives. He was just so like, this was a feeling he's never had before. And he, Chris did it for the rest of his life. Pat Finn is still an actor out in Hollywood. He just finished up uh, the middle. He was on the middle for a long time. And uh, um, yeah. um, Yeah. He just found it. Did y'all have any like brotherly moment? Like, did y'all have that sort of relationship where he would call you up and say, "Hey, guess what? I'm I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live. I'm a regular cast." Or guess what? They're they're doing Tommy Boy, and I'm the main. Like, did y'all have that sort of relationship where he'd call you with big news? Yeah, well, you know, I lived in New York before Chris got there, and um, and he came into town and he goes, "Yeah, I'm, I'm getting an audition, you know, for SNL," and. uh so he was there all afternoon long, and he calls. And y'all were big fans, of, I'm assuming, already like big into Belushi oh, from and day Candy. one. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first cast, we were we were just hooked. Before that, Carol Burnett, we were like religious Carol Burnett. Yeah. We were watching all the My time. My family too. And, and then this came on, and we're like, "What is this?" It was right. great. And so yeah, so Chris just like that was his goal in life, and uh, he calls me up, and he's like. I can bring it. They're going to let me go to the show tonight. I can bring You want to come to the show? I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to Saturday Night Live. And for right. that, it was just like, we're going to an event. Uh-huh. And right. so we wow. were watching this show and just like, I can't believe we're here. We had like, for me, it was like, if this all ends right now, this is as cool as it gets. I mean, what like, year was that? Do you remember? What? Uh, that was uh, 90, 90. Wow. God, man. That's yeah, crazy. And, and like, and, and the thing is, and it was like, um, and for me, I'm a big music guy. So like, uh, um, Clapton was playing. Wow, and so we're wow. up in, in, in Lauren's like kind of office on the set and with a big sliding glass door and we walk out and Clapton starts playing. And I'm like, this is so cool. And I've got this like short guy in front of me that I can see like right over him, right at Clapton. And I'm like, this is amazing. And it's like, and I'm like, thank God for the short guy. And Clapton <laughs> ends up. And I look next to the short guy and I'm like, oh my God, that's Edie Brickell. And it's like, who does Edie Brickell date? It's like Paul Simon. I look, oh my God, that's Paul Simon in front of me. Oh, wow. it's like, and I'm like, gosh. this, I'm like, everywhere you look, it was like this coolness. I'm like, this was wild. That's and it amazing. just quickly went from there. I mean, from that point on, oh, I'm yeah. sure everything just sped up like crazy, huh? Yeah. And then I was just, I was just going to every show. Like, it was like, this is so cool. And I'd seen this. And then, then of course, Chris would call me up. And then it stopped because Chris would call me up. It's like, you come to the show tonight? And I go, oh, who's playing? He goes, <laughs> I'm playing, dick. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, so here, 
this is this is so beautiful. It's a brother's perspective. And so one thing that I mean, like Matt, Toby, all, all of our friends, we will seriously get into a 30 minute Chris Farley conversation, recounting the different sketches we love, the best parts of Tommy Boy and Almost Heroes and all that. As a brother, are there any aspects of of his skits and movies and everything? Like, do you have personal highlights? Because it's it's a completely different lens to look through. I'd be curious uh, yeah, as, as a brother. Yeah. It's all stuff I'd seen before. I mean, like, you know, the, um, it, it was just weird to see it in this new context, like Chippendale's Dancer. And I'm oh, like, man, man yeah. when we were camp counselors, when we were in college, we were camp counselors up in northern Wisconsin and all summer long. And we would go out into town on our nights off and like the band would play and then they'd go on, all right, we'll take a 15 minute break. And they'd pipe, they'd pipe in music and the dance floor would be emptied out. And then you turn around and there's Chris on the dance floor, shirt oh off, gosh. you know, slapping it on <laughs> the floor, just doing this thing. So the and skits are with real. real. With just yeah, a live totally. audience. And I'm wow. like, oh my God. And like, and then, so when I saw him with Swayze, I'm like, yeah, I, I've seen this since, you know, whatever. That is and, just uh, incredible. And then, you know, the whole, um, you know, the Chris Farley show. I mean, oh my I, gosh, having to share a bedroom with him. I used to call him when we were growing up. I used to call him Mr. Question. Because literally every night we're like, you remember, do, do you remember that show, that movie we watched? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we just turned the TV off, dude. Yeah, so some- <laughs> what would you, you know, it was pretty scary. Like, what would you rather be caught in a room with Frankenstein and the Wolfman? I'm like, I, I'm Frankenstein because I got outrun him. No, yeah, that- no, it's a real small room. That, like, well, no, uh, if it's, uh, I find them with the Wolfman, then you catch me and I'm, oh, no, then you make you a wolf. And, like, would you just go to bed, you freak? And then you'd see him with McCartney doing the same thing, man. Right. Or the Beatle. I'm like, I've seen this so many times. That's so crazy. That's so the interesting. Chris, the Chris Farley documentary, I, I think it's called I Am Chris Farley. Some Someone yeah. said, at, at, where, I don't know if you were on that documentary. Somebody said yeah. that that is a depiction of the real Chris Farley behind the scenes. Like those interviews. Like that is a representation of who Chris Farley was when it came to personal relationships and just yeah. kind of how he carried he himself. Just, well, you know, and in, in, in another book, um, Live from New York, um, uh, I think maybe Al Franken was talking about like guys, you know, after you've been, you know, they, they were the, the old guys would see these new guys come in and they'd come in like, I'm on Saturday Night Live. Like now I'm on the top of the pyramid. I'm the king. Everyone worshiping me. But Chris came in to, you know, to NBC at 30 Rock and just would like search out the Frankens and the Tom Davises and like, what was it like to work with these guys, Belushi? And they were so, you know, just reverent of, mm-hmm. of, of SNL and its history. And he, he said he was so different from everyone because he just, and, and he, he gave homage to the guys that came before him. And it was different, you know, everyone else was like, yeah, I'm, I'm that good. I'm on Saturday Night Live. Chris was like, hey, I don't know why I'm on Saturday Night Live, but while I'm here, tell me about Belushi. You know, wow, yeah. like that's that. amazing. Could we talk I, I, a little bit about the the darker side of Chris? I, I mean, you know, there's there's plenty there, but is it, uh, would it be accurate to say that there's something almost, this is the way I perceive it at least, is him being funny was also, there was something sad about it, like there was something sad in the humor that was behind the the funniness and the obnoxiousness. Is that the case at all, or is that a misread? Nah, you missed that totally, man. No, that's <laughs> that's exactly what it is. 
Um, but, but help me help me understand yeah. that without me any conjecture from us. But that you know, sad clown is that? Is that yeah, tears tears of a clown, absolutely. Yeah. Um, his favorite song was Burl Ives' "A Little Bit of Tear Let Me Down." Mm. Spoiled my act as a clown. Yeah, um, yeah. He was. He definitely. You know. He just. He loved humor and he loved making people laugh, but he just never really. You know. He never. You know. He wanted. He wanted like this Midwestern family that we grew up in, you know, dad was the provider, had a nice wife and kids. He wanted that so badly. And yet he was this kind of chubby guy, um, growing up. He never had a girlfriend and he never really, he had, he just had a low self-esteem, low body image. And, and, um, and then all of a sudden he's a star and he's dating Victoria's Secrets models. He's like, he saw right through it. And that oh, made him man. sad too. Like he couldn't even and believe then, it. He couldn't even accept it yeah. because it wasn't. It's like, you know, yeah. I'm not an idiot. He goes, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll go out with him. That's, you know, I'm not stupid, but I know it's not, it's all about stardom and has nothing to do with me as a person. Nobody really got who he was. When, when did you start to, or, or, or did you early on start to get suspicious of how serious this could end up. Well, hang on a second brother. before we yeah. even go farther there in the, in the timeline. There, would it is the humor related to that? Like, if he wasn't sad that way, if he didn't have that low self esteem, the humor wouldn't be as funny, or he would have never developed it. Is it a cope? I mean, how does that? How do those two work together? Well, you know, I, I think more than I don't know the more than the humor. You know, I, I, you, you got to, to describe Chris, you got to describe my dad. And, uh, you know, my dad was, you know, he was a big guy too. When he died, he was 500 pounds. I mean, he, and yet, I mean, I describe him as, you know, kind of the, the light on the back porch where every moth in town is just drawn to him. Dad could just sit there and everyone was just like, they loved him. He, he would tell stories and, uh, you know, um, he just had that magnetism and yet he was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, there, there's two sides that's that sort of Chris, you know, Chris and all of us really had got that, that, and I think it's a Wisconsin thing too, is just that, you know, people are drawn to us and, and, uh, and, and Chris loved that. But on the same token, you know, we loved our dad so much and we were always like, you know, dad would put on a, a you know, a new blazer that he had, you know, like, you know, you know, five tailors, you know, stitched together for him. And, uh, he's, ah, dad, you look great. And he was the elephant in the room, literally. And like, you know, we knew he didn't look great. He was 500 pounds, but we yep. loved him. So we told, and so you know, they, Chris definitely, and all of us, like when somebody tells us that, that they love us or we think we're funny, we, we, we have a hard time believing that because all our lives we were telling our dad, Something completely different. Gosh, that's interesting. Wow. You know, the whole family yeah. felt like they had to earn it, right? Like, yeah. in spite of our, you know, our being overweight or whatever it might be, you felt like you had to earn it. You even felt that or, way? It was a mask, yeah. Um, a mask, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, for me, it's a different journey because I was the oldest and I was, you know, always had to, I had the expectation and, I, you know, dad went to Georgetown, so I had to go to Georgetown and, you know, I had to go into, dad went into business, so I had to go into business. And I always kind of struggled. I always was playing. It was interesting. I always contrast Chris, who was known for all these characters, but he was just being himself. Uh-huh. And here, I'm trying to play these characters. I'm in New York, working on Wall Street, and I'm trying to be this, like, this, 
you know, this, this cliche of, of, and finally Chris was, you know, after all these years, Chris, you know, kind of gave me permission to just be myself and just, and I think instead of like pushing my buttons and trying to embarrass me, I think what Chris was really saying was, Tommy, just be yourself. And just, and I, and he gave me permission to, to be funny and, um, uh, and, 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 and make people laugh. So what, what you know, got me, I got me divorced in the process, but <laughs> you know, so would you say Chris that Chris that. was, totally. so he was sad, but was he also happy a lot and really enjoyed humor and was a happy person and a sad person, or was it just, he was a sad person masking and pretending and using humor? Was Yeah. Was it fun at Christmas when y'all hung out and stuff like that? I'm, I'm saying, you it, know, was it, he it, happy also? Right. I know he was sad. Yeah. No, um, I don't think, um, No. I don't think any of us really are, you know, so once, um, somebody asked me what, like once when I was, when I was actually going through a divorce and they said, well, when was the last time you like felt joy? I'm like, next question. I, uh, I don't know. You know, yeah. I don't know. Um, we're all, we're, we're playing to the crowd. Um, and that's what we were kind of taught. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think Chris, the only time he really felt something deep and moving, you know, Thankfully, um, he had his faith, you know, that, that's mm-hmm. what he had. And when he, anonymous, when he was in New York and, you know, that's when he, you know, everyone was like gearing up for the Saturday night show. He, he, he would step away and go to, go into St. Patrick's and, uh, you know, go to mass. Um, he would, uh, volunteer at, uh, at, uh, at, um, uh, you know, a, a retirement home at connected to his church. And he would do these things and we didn't even know he was doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I know that's, you know, I, I take heart in the fact that that's where he found his peace. But yeah, but that, that's all, that's all that what there was. It's such a beautiful thing uh, or a depiction of, of just the human spirit. And by the way, I think it speaks unbelievable volumes of who you are as a person, just to be able to talk to three br- fans of, of your brother and, and just how, uh, much you're enjoying it too but like the nice. to think to think of the like, like it's a real sacrifice like the life that chris farley lived i mean i seriously i'll watch chris farley stuff when i want to be cheered up <laughs> i mean that's the yeah. sort of impact your brother has in my life and to think that that would like behind the scenes was pain and angst and self-deprecation mm-hmm. and no real relationship with women and all of that stuff. And it's like, and, and I benefited from his entertainment. It's just, it's, it's kind of hard to put an emotional thumb on what that means, but it's, it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it is. And, um, so yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Chris, Chris wanted that a personal relationship with somebody. Yeah. He's yeah. never, never, Never had it. It's so interesting to me that he got, I mean, he is forever remembered as a lovable, uh, uh, goofball, morbidly obese, funny man that, and if that is what, how you're remembered, how do you connect? Like that, that has to create some kind of sadness or some depression, or you have to, uh, you know, in a way self-medicate because Every single person. That's, well, that's what I'm saying. Even when we were talking about David Letterman, David Letterman goes, "Chris Farley's coming on. This is going to be unbelievable." You know what I mean? Like every <laughs> single person. Yeah. Like and yeah. and he died so soon that he never even got the chance to just 
chill out a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I think of, you know, like, like for example, like Will Ferrell is known as, oh, super funny, crazy, but he lived long enough and did things enough to where he can, in, a, in some way, be okay with who he is and where he's at in life. And Chris didn't get that. Like he was, he never had that opportunity. I mean, because he just, he had to be on at all times or he probably felt like, I mean, is that nobody would care. Like if he wasn't completely on, well, he's just the fat guy that's, Oh, well, if he's not funny, I don't want to be around him. It seems like kind of his story. Yeah. And, and that's actually, that's what we have to carry. My brothers and I, uh, to this day, you know, we, we can't be, um, you know, depressed or the, you know, mad or, you know, we always got to be on, you know, like, right. you know, we always got to be, you know, I'll say I'm, I'm like in my mid fifties. It's like, I still got to fall on the table for you guys. All right. Whatever. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like when you want to like scream at the airline attendant, cause the plane's delayed, like everyone else is, it's like, I can't cause I'm Chris Farley's brother. And the last thing I want is people say, it's like, you know, Chris Farley's brother is kind of a jerk. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't be that guy. Right? Hey. Did y'all? Uh, so, was there? Did y'all have fear uh, around the time that he died? Like, did you see any of it coming at all? Did you think he was okay? Yeah. No, no. That that's you know, Chris. You know, that's when the roller coaster started. When he was on uh, SNL or when he was working on a movie and he was uh, clean and sober. Man, that's when we. That's what we remember. When he was clean and sober, he was the funniest guy ever. Um, but when he had free time and he wasn't working on, that's when the roller coaster started, and the and that's when we got scared. And yeah. uh, it was it literally was just like uh, only a couple of years. What are the and, things that uh, scared you? What give me an example of that? Well, he just he would just give in to his addiction, and when he did, he he was again all in. When he was like when he went off the wagon, he went you know, in a big way. Well, how would you know? Would you see him? Were you around him? Or well, call I'll, you, I'll or? tell you, I'll tell you one. Uh, the, uh, the last time I saw him, um, I was working up in Greenwich, Connecticut and he was coming back. I knew he was, you know, trying to be sober and, but I knew I heard stories that it wasn't going so well. And, um, he came back to host the show because his, the people around him said, you got to do this for your career. Yeah. Even though it, it meant taking him out of, you know, rehab so it's wednesday and i know the i know the drill down on at uh, saturday Night live you know he was i know he was there monday i know tuesday he was you know in the writer's room uh doing stuff and it's here's wednesday and I'm like man the dude hasn't even called me you know i'm right here you know yeah. like not even for dinner or something and so my wife at the time she just said you know when are you coming home i'm like ah, i'm kind of worried about chris and she goes just get in the car and go down to new york so i drove down and uh, I kind of show up at his at his hotel room, and he's like, "Oh, all surprised," because I could tell like when he was doing the bad stuff, he didn't want us around at all. So, um, you know, it was just a bad night. He was, we went back up to SNL, and we were goofing around, and I, I kind of saw it was just a train wreck in the process. I'm like, you know what, Chris, I'm going to go home. I'll meet you for lunch tomorrow, and so. I'm, next day, I go back down to New York, and I, I get a friend of ours that, from Wisconsin, grew up with, that um, Kevin Cleary, you know, guys that he couldn't bullshit, you know, and yeah, and Kevin, um, uh, he, he just he just knew Chris really well, and uh, I said, let's Kevin, let's go have lunch with Chris, and so I call, I go to the the Waldorf, and I call to his room. It's like, 
hey, you know, I'm here with Kevin. Uh, let's have lunch. And as soon as he heard Kevin's name, he was like, uh-oh. And he goes, give me a half hour, you know, call me. And, you know, so Kevin and I just hung out. Half hour later, I call up his room. There's a block on the line. They wouldn't let me. I'm like, he's done. Yeah, he, he totally ghosted us. Wow. And um, I remember seeing the show that weekend. I don't know if you remember the El Nino skit. Yeah, yeah. I love it. You know, yo soy El Nino. It was just <laughs> so painful for me. It was painful for me to watch because uh, the Nino. Oh, yeah. Well, that voice, you know, Chris. He was he was that horse. He right. Was, he was right. he was heavy. That was he couldn't he could barely speak that whole episode, and that was just showcased how how bad he, you know how off his mark he was. Right. And um, uh, I, I never saw him again. Do you? He died a month later. Do you wow. mind sharing just how how you got the news? Yeah, no, it um, it was this middle of December, and I'm I'm actually up in Connecticut, and I'm talking with a friend of mine. Um, we're trying to come up with some some project that we could include Chris on, and we're just kind of spitballing ideas. And he's uh, he's in the entertainment business, and uh, he's got a TV on in his office, and it's muted. He's got CNN on, and I just happened to glance over, and, uh, oh, there's Chris and Spade. It's like, oh, what's this knucklehead done now? And I turn up the volume, and just as I'm turning up, it goes to Chris's apartment in, in uh, John Hancock in, in Chicago, and there's an ambulance out front, and you know, we're getting word that Chris Farley just died. I'm like, oh, what? And, you know, I called home. You know, this is like kind of pre-cell phone. This was, like, right. you know, there, you know, no one could, no one could find me. And you know, I called home, and yeah, you know, Dad goes, "Yeah, we lost him." Oh, that is so horrible. Thank you for sharing that. Oh. that yeah, it's, that's, it was brutal. It, I don't remember driving home. You know, I, I called him from this friend's office. My 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 buddy just goes, "There's the phone. Just do what you got to do." And I was probably like 15 minutes away from home. I, I don't remember the drive home. Wow, crying so hard. Is there like a, is there a story about, cause I was shocked. I, ac- I accidentally stumbled on this. Is there a story behind leaked pictures and, and how devastating is that for a family? Uh, yeah. Like, well, we came to find out, you know, um, we thought it was, it, it might've been the hooker that, that kind of left him there. Yeah. Um, but we found out later it was actually the Chicago police. Wow! Really? One of the policemen, because there was a hat, you know, one of his, one of his, uh, um, his his cover was sitting on one of the scenes, so it's like it had to be, you know, somebody from the crime scene that that sold him to National Enquirer. Right. That's just so you know, rotten. I, I, I it's yeah. I saw that picture know. too. I couldn't imagine what that would be like as a your fan as a family member as your brother seeing that picture and knowing that it just because of his fame or whatever, somebody still trying to profit off of your brother. You know what I mean? Like in well, the yeah, worst possible know, and, spot. And, um, uh, you know, and my kids, you know, were, you know, then when they got to be in middle school and the internet was coming up and they'd be on, it's like, Oh, let's, you know, Google uncle Chris. And right. Right. These right. pictures would show up or my mom would, yeah, they would just pop up and it's just like, yeah, oh, that's just horrible. Yeah. Um, I tell, I tell you even worse with the, the worst story. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of stupid of me. It's kind of funny, but it's not, um, I had a garage sale in Madison was a couple years ago. And I, you know, we were just trying to just get junk out. And I had this old Wisconsin Badger rug 
that was Chris's. I, you know, cause I went down to Chicago, I cleaned out his whole apartment, got a lot of, you know, a lot of memorabilia stuff, but a lot of just junk, a lot of stuff. I just want to clear away. And, and, um, and, uh, some guy bought this rug. It's like, yeah, it was my brother Chris's. And, um, oh, wow. So I sold for like 20 bucks, whatever. Next thing I know, it's it's on eBay with a picture, one of these pictures. I didn't know because I don't look at these pictures. It's like, you know, the advertisers, here's the rug that they showed him. You, that's what he died on. Oh, and, wow. his, and his four-year-old, there's Chris's body on this rug that I just sold in my garage sale. And this guy's like, you know, who wants to buy the rug that Chris died? I'm like, right. oh, man, Jeez. what a cruel world. Yeah. Just oh, am, man, am I uh, am I right to say that he is uh, holding a rosary in those pictures? Does that uh, it? Yeah, it, does that bring I, y'all's family maybe a little bit of peace? Like that's yeah, what his well, thoughts were. The real story is the real story was um, uh, my brother Johnny and uh, and Chris's assistant, who was an old old friend, an old camper of mine from summer camp days, uh, Teddy. Uh, they found him the next day and, and, you know, Teddy and Johnny and all, you know, we're all, you know, big Catholics and, um, Teddy, Teddy went first thing he did and he got the rosary and put him in his hand. Oh, wow. Said a prayer. And that's, and that was Teddy. Yeah. Wow. And Johnny, um, and they, and, uh, then they, uh, cleared all the pot out of the apartment before the police came. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just, you know, anytime you talk about Chris's death, there's just, you know, it's so sad, so brutal. And then there's just a funny little story that seeps in there. Yeah. It's the only way I can deal with it is thinking of those little moments. Like I, I like I, I told this, there's a new documentary. I don't know if you've seen it on A&E that just came out Monday. And it's really good. Much better than I Am Chris Farley. Actually, it's the same directors and producers that did I Am Chris Farley. They just did a better job this time around. And I got to watch good. that. Yeah, it's very good. Um, it's on A&E right now, but um, uh, there's a story I tell a lot is, is, is um, you know, we're burying Chris and, and they said, well, you know, my dad said, you know, he's get, get him, get him a clean shirt and, a, you know, and a tie. And so we go out to the, <laughs> the big and fat store in Madison and uh, we go, we need, we need some stuff for Chris. And I go, well, yeah, we got his measurements. We know. We got him a nice white shirt and a nice tie and, and, uh, we're walking out and it's Christmas time. So we're walking out of the store and, uh, and we see this little display of, uh, of, uh, Christmas socks, a little ho, ho, ho and Santa. I'm like, I look at my brothers and we're like, oh yeah, we're burying them in these. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, we find these little ho, ho, ho socks and, and, uh, we go to the funeral and we got this, this package of, of the socks and the shirt and the tie. And like, we knock on the back door or the, you know, where they're embalming or whatever. And we give them the package and, you know, it, you know, and all of a sudden the laughter just kind of stops and we just like, holy shit, man. Did we just deliver clothes to bury my brother in? Yeah. Right. You know, so I mean, it was just that role, that same roller coaster. It's like one minute we're laughing the next minute we're just bawling our eyes out. It's just, that was the, that's how it was. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, it's such a depiction of him. Like it's all in, like either the funniest possible yeah. thing, or then it seems like the darkest possible thing, you know, like, yeah. I mean, it's like, it, there's no middle ground there. Like, did you ever, I mean, what was it like? Was, was he never, was there times where you hung out with your brother and he wasn't on and y'all were just brothers and just kind of chilling or was it, did, did he feel the need to always be on? 
Um, Did you get a beautiful moment with him or anything like that? Or moments? Um, no, you know, when we were eating a brat, maybe. No, I don't know. Yeah. I, um, you know, yeah, there were, when I started, I started having kids and, and, you know, Chris would, would come to, you know, they were all born in New York hospital. And so Chris would come and, and he was always the first one there. Chris as an uncle was, uh, was amazing. Um, I remember, uh, I remember the time <clears throat> when my son, my third was born and he had like kind of a, a, like a heart, one of those like holes in the heart that they, they had to keep him in the, in the, in the ICU for like a week. You know, Susie so with these like little premature kids and there's my hulking son, you know, it's like, Oh, problem with my heart. So, uh, we we're there. And so at the end of the week, we go down to pick him up at New York hospital and we had our two older daughters who were like, you know, two and three years old. And, uh, we go, Chris, can you babysit? And Chris was just getting sober or he had been sober for three years. And it was like, and it was really great to be around him. And we we're like, Chris, can you, uh, can you watch the girls while we go pick them up at the hospital? Sure. No problem. So we get down there. We get, we got to pick up Tommy in, a, in about a half hour. We get to his apartment, Lower East Side, you know, ring his doorbell, no answer. It's like, oh man. And like ring it for like five minutes, like no Chris. It's like that old reliable, like Chris, like what happened? It's like, oh, we, we didn't, we didn't slip back into, and I was getting really kind of bummed out and my wife is getting mad. And, and all of a sudden we look up the block and around the corner comes Chris with these two huge Barney stuffed animals and a, and a, and a grocery bag full of Cheetos and ice cream. <laughs> and, he's just, and he's walking down the street and, uh, you know, he's going to babysit. Uncle Chris is coming to the rescue. And it was just, it was great. It was great. And he loved, he relished that role that, that Tommy asked me to babysit his girls. That's very sweet. Uh, those, yep. Yeah, those moments were great. They were brief. I think you've kind of stunned all of us, man. <laughs> like this is uh, <sighs> this intense conversation and very beautiful. This yeah, is it must awesome. be really just you know. I know but, you've wrestled with this a ton, but just the way that other people have a relationship with your brother and you have a different one. Yeah. But it, it's 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 almost stunning to hear you say that he was almost always on even at home. So maybe yeah, maybe it's like he it feels like he just gave him his whole self to everybody all the time. But you know, or something. People ask know. me. People ask me well, like, what what do you miss the most? What would you ask for one more thing? And it's like before he was always on. There was always that moment. And what I miss the most is Chris coming through the door and just give me that big bear hug. Mm -hmm. Hey, yeah. Tommy. It was, it was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> then, 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 the, then the show would start. But there was always that one moment where, you know, Chris and you, you were brothers. And that was nice. That's, that's, really, that's really amazing. I guess, I, you know, uh, does anybody have any? I mean, what, what do you put on the Mount Rushmore of funny people? I mean, is Chris Farley's on there. I, I, it may be absurd to say. I don't think yeah. it is, but I, I, nobody's ever made me laugh as much. I mean, to me, he's the funniest person that ever existed. I suppose. I don't, you know, I don't think that's hyperbolic to say. I don't know if there's a debate about it or anything, but it feels that way to me. It's, yeah. Well, you know, and, and going back to an, uh, your earlier statement is like, you know, I. I do when I do this, what I'm doing right now, I, I feel very blessed because I do get to talk about Chris. Yeah. You know, my dad died a year after Chris and that grief is more like, 
like everyone else's. After like six months, nobody asks me about my dad anymore. Right. That grief is just my own. Mm-hmm. You know, my, those memories are just my own that I just kind of think about once in a while and or something kicks it in. But every day I get to talk about Chris. Somebody asks me something or I'm remind. And so he's as, as alive as he's ever been. And no, people don't get to do that That's right. With, right. when they've lost a loved one. So I, you know, I'm, 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 I, I do this because it's a blessing. Well, yeah. your book is, you know, the Chris Farley Show, and that came out in 2009. Have you done anything else? Or have plans to do anything else? Um, well, I do have two other brothers. I always threaten to write books on them. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think you know it, w- w- what's been great is with the book. Um, you know, I wanted to write a book right when right for Chris died because, like, everyone's got these great stories. You know, remember when he did this or like Jerry did last night and all his friends and, and, you know, those were stuff you wouldn't, that were so much better than what he was scripted and on TV or movies with. And, but at the time I shopped around and people were like, yeah, we, we want to know the whole story. And I, I just wasn't ready to do that. So 10 years later when I wrote the, when I finally could write the book and it was, I had to do the, the good, the bad and the ugly. And, um, and I was ready for it then. And, uh, and so we, we delved into a lot of that stuff. And, yeah. you know, people, when I was writing, people were like, well, what's the book about? And I said, well, yeah, it's kind of like the Bible. You know, there's, you know what happens in the end, but there's some great stories in between. Um, and, uh, but now that that's done, I mean, like, you know, now we can just concentrate like on the, the documentaries that are just like, what made this guy like, you know, so different and so, you know, tech, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and uh, so that's been fun. Well, it is seems there, is there any, uh, attention to. Is there any uh, backstory? Like, was it uh, like the name Tommy Boy for the movie? Was that after your dad knew? I mean, that, that namesake? Did he? Have, did Chris yeah. have any say in that? Oh, sure he did. Um, the original movie was going to be called Billy the Third. Oh, really? Billy, Can- Billy Callahan the Third, mm-hmm. and he was Billy. And, but um, Lauren came to uh, the writers and said, you know, we got to change the name. Because Sandler just came out with Billy Madison. Oh, right. Uh, we can't have two Billies. Right. And so, okay, that'll be too confusing. Um, so at that time, my son was just born, and I called him Tommy Farley III, after my dad and myself. And so Chris goes, all right, I'll be Tommy Callahan III after my son Tommy. Um, and I go, I, I remember telling Chris, like, I was asking Chris, that's great. Your dad named your movie after, you know, dad and me and, and Tommy. He goes, no, nah, just pretty much dad and Tommy. Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, thanks, buddy. Um, and, he, and he made it known that he was serious about that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so my son Tommy is, is the original Tommy boy, yeah. Well, Tom, we really do appreciate you being on here today. This has been, I mean, fun. yeah, uh, we, this was, I mean, it, fun and also yeah, a little, little bit heartbreaking there. Your book's called The Chris Farley Show, and you do a lot of speaking engagements, too. Where can people find you at? Yeah. You know, I just basically wherever people, you know, want me, you know, I was just in Indianapolis last week. Uh, I talk a lot at treatment centers because, you know, that's an important message yeah. to me. You know, I talk a lot about Chris's story and, and his struggles with um, with addiction and also his successes with um, recovery and, and obviously his ultimate, um, you know, uh, you know, it, it ended. But, um, you know, he... he, he he approached it like an athlete, you know. Yeah. Um, he wasn't going to let this uh, win. He was going to. He was going to give it his best shot. 
Yeah. So I, I you know, a lot of those things, you know, that's, I just kind of appear. Great. Well, uh, we really do appreciate you being on here, and thank you so much uh, for joining awesome, us. Yeah, the, once honor. again, the book, your book is so called fun. The Chris Farley Show. You can get on Amazon or wherever. If you want, pe- you, anywhere you want people to go to get the book, or is Amazon good? Amazon's great. Yeah. Okay. Tom, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. We sure do appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Yep. It was fun. I literally think that was probably the most special thing I've ever done with you guys in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting take. I, uh, depends on how you define special, but I would say it's super, it is very satisfying to do any podcast where you are talking to somebody where you're genuinely hanging on each moment right. and paying that much attention. Right. Like I felt like, oh, this is such a glimpse into the at least genetic similarity to Chris Farley plus insight into something that I think is pretty profound. So like me, my mind wandering or be, you know, not having genuine questions or trying to string a podcast together that doesn't come into it. This is, that's such a present moment of like listening, paying attention, trying to absorb what the person's saying. If ever, if, if you could just be in that mode for every podcast, they'd all be a lot better. So, but I enjoy it. Was it was almost like was, talking to James or Jude, you know? Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's oh, sweet boy. guy too. I mean, you know, I think it makes me sad the way he talks about their happiness more than anything. Yeah, like, yes, like uh, it's like such a sacrifice. It's like, okay, so you guys are going to make us all happy at, at your own detriment is the theme. And I right, guess, he made I very guess, clear thank too. you. I guess, thanks is, I don't know what else to say. Like, Chris Farley wasn't going to have a great life for himself that seemed, I mean, he could have, but it didn't seem like that was going to be in the cards. So thank you. Like, thank it, you for yeah. at least doing that. You know, I don't know what else to say. Isn't it interesting when I was listening to it too? I was like, what? When I was hearing that, I was like, was it the fame and all that stuff? But what other job could you see Chris Farley doing? Like working in Wisconsin. <laughs> what job? Uh, you know what I mean? Like it would have been, wouldn't it be, it, it would have just been unbelievable, right? Like it just a, a job where he worked at some office or something. It would be, you'd be dying laughing every day. He would do stuff because oh, he had to yeah. be a showman. Like whatever his flaws were, he was like, "I'm going to show out so people will like me." It's the but some fat guy some syndrome. people some people respond to a disposition and circumstance in life like that, and they turn out to be dangerous incel mass shooters or something. Chris Farley took right. that energy and did what he did for all of us. I mean, right? I don't even know. That's just that's <laughs> he's my go-to when I when I watch like a super sad or super scary movie, and I don't want that to be the end of my night. Like I'll just watch a couple of Chris Farley skits. It's definitely a policy that Priscilla and I have if we're ever bummed out about a movie. Oh, just watch the uh, game show sketch of his finger getting cut off. <laughs> I know it's just so crazy awesome. stuff. Anyway, but, all right, you know you know who else has given their life to just everybody. Is is us three? <laughs> yeah, I also have made sacrifices. I and, too. <laughs> and our uh, adoring fans and supporters—they are in something called the BC Club, and we couldn't be happier and more excited about the BC Club because we changed things up a little bit, and it's even more fun than ever to join and be a part of it. We have—I can't too many to list ways to connect uh, through social media, Discord, uh, uh, Facebook. I, I don't even want to get into all of them. You also get an an episode every day of the week now like you get the main episode on Wednesdays but on uh, 
Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, you get a Daily Dose episode, which is just off the cuff, talking about what's happening that day, what's going on in our lives. It's probably a little bit more crazy, a little bit more loose, a little bit more raunchy, a little bit more fun, maybe. I don't know. We're pretty good. We're pretty good on these these episodes, too, but it's pretty, we get a little wild on those Daily Dose. More informative. How about the difference in the two being that on the Daily Dose, we almost never plan out what we're going to say. Right. Oh, okay. Whereas, yeah, there on, you go. The, uh, whereas on the on these, you might be a hair more careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just say we we almost never plan right. at all what to say on the main episode. Well, I love this. Yeah, I love this list because there. First of all, I'm seeing two of the coolest names I've ever seen, and then one person that joined was actually present for my first daughter's birth. So it kind of warms my heart. I don't think Good there's Lord. another Kaylee Childs. I know she listens to this podcast. So a dear friend. I was of our thinking family. Priscilla Svensson. Cool. <laughs> uh, wasn't in the hospital room at the, but she she was she was in the waiting room and got some footage of Rosa. No, it was actually when Gwenny was born. So Rosa met Gwenny. So a uh, friend of the family. But check out these badass names. Shock Scott. Like the parents named him Shock. That's pretty killer. I and like then it. check this check this out. Jano Poncho. Wow. I mean, those are just some badass names. So no offense to Mark A. Richard, Derek Overstreet, John Paul, John Pyle, Clint Bowles, Brian Jones, and Alex Zawoy. Ooh, that's another one that I missed. Alex Zawoy. Very cool names, everyone. Thank you all for joining the BC Club. And, you know, a lot of these people, honestly, some of them kind of just uh, don't really tinker around on the Facebook page. And I even know there's some BC Clubbers that, um, you know, lose track of the Daily Dose once in a while. There are people that really just want to see us continue. It's really crazy. The kind of filth and shenanigans we put out and people are actually investing in it to see it uh, continues kind of kind of neat. So we definitely thank you all. Appreciate it. See you soon. See you tomorrow. Peace.